Thanks for joining us again this week on Surviving Creativity, the show all about following your dreams, becoming your own boss, and surviving the process. I'm your co-host, Corey Cassoni, and I'm joined every week by cartoonists Brad Geiger and Scott Kurtz as we talk about all the things that are happening in the world of online entertainment, new media, and technology. This week, we've got our very helpful, very wonderful lawyer, Katie Lane, with us. She's going to cover some of the topics that have been blowing up the internet this week, particularly orphaned works. I'd like to tell you more, but to be honest, I have no idea what an orphaned work is. And there's a lot of confusion out there right now about it. So we're just going to take the next hour and she's going to walk us through it. And she's going to tell us why we all just need to calm down and enjoy the ride. So sit back, relax, and enjoy another episode of Surviving Creative. Let's start. Mm. I started. Mm. We're we're started. Mm-hmm. We are. <laughs> oh, you already started it. Yeah. <laughs> Is that what the I started meant? <laughs> <laughs> I started. Uh, I've gotten a series of constructive feedback comments from from fans. Oh, cool! They can all go fuck themselves. <laughs> <laughs> You know what's funny is uh, one of one of them is like there's so much good information in there, but you go on a tangent all the time. It's like yeah, that's kind of. I mean, we try to stay focused, but the idea is that we're, you're just a fly on the wall in the studio, and whatever we talk about is what is kind of what we're going to talk about. You although today, although today we have Katie, so we're actually probably going to talk about something very specific. Oh no, you're going to go on a tangent. Stop I it. know you. Stop it. <laughs> Well, if you want, if you want to hear the difference, listen to that uh, podcast that we recorded for the Patreon podcast, where he he like kept stopping the conversation to keep us on his little list. Uh, I'll take ours over that anytime. Well, that's man the- of the box. Get back in that box. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the trade-off, though, right? Is like you can. I mean, those are kind of the two types of podcasts. I feel like. Mm. Yeah. Is like either you can. Either you can have that where, you know, where you're sticking, you're very specifically sticking to a topic, or you can have what we have where we just sort of talk. And who sent that email? Uh, I, you know, I don't, I don't think it was an email. So we can just, find just, the first, just the first name. I think it was somebody on Twitter. I don't even remember who said it. All right. Well, thanks. Go fuck yourself. Oh, stop it. Stop it. Scott's in a mood today. We're going to have to wrangle that guy. Put him back in the box. Scott. Put him back in the box. You're back in your box, Scott. Gonna double swordfish that guy. <laughs> Hi, Katie. Hi, Corey. Did you miss us? Uh, so much. I was gonna ask. By the way, I was gonna ask if swears were okay, but I think we've answered that question. Oh yeah. yes. Swears are fine. For us, but you're a professional. Yeah. Oh. 
that's going to be a problem then. <laughs> <laughs> Katie, for those uh, for those of our listeners who don't know who you are, uh, introduce yourself for us. Uh, my name is Katie Lane. I'm an attorney and a negotiation coach. I work primarily with artists and freelancers. Um, good number of my clients are in comics and video games, uh, illustration, some authors in there for fun. Uh, but I write about law and negotiation for people who are working for themselves in a creative field on my blog. Uh, try to do it every week, but don't quite get there. It's workmadeforhire.net. We're your clients. It's true. You are. That's how we know you. Mm-hmm. 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 It is exactly how, how, how I know mm-hmm. you guys because you hired me long, long ago in a land far, far away. Do we make? Does it make you sad to to think that you have to deal with us? What? No. Are we? Are we, are we like? Are we difficult? Clients? Are we problem clients or are we good clients? Yeah. You're good clients. We win. And I'm not just saying that because we're <laughs> recording this to be broadcast. No. Do you we remember the first would... thing? Do you remember the first thing they called you? I remember the first thing Corey called me about. I can't remember the first thing he hired me to do for Toonhound though. Oh, I want to know what but, the first thing I called you about was. The first thing you called me about? Yeah. It was for your uh, for contracts for you to do work managing folks. That's so where it all for That's where it all started. Yeah, way mm. back then. And then there was a while there was a time there where you would you would randomly call me and patch me in on like uh, three or four way calls. <laughs> like I'd be at work and I would get a call from you and it would be a copyright question. Yeah. With like I, Scott and Brad and yeah, it's good. Kept like me on I'd, my toes. Like I'd force you to consult. Yeah, at, in like, opportune it's moments. It's like a ten minute ten minute question, Katie. No big deal. And it was like a podcast. <laughs> it, was, it was exactly like the podcast. Well this time we we've scheduled it, so you're you're on the clock. You can bill Brad for that. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I want to talk about orphaned works. That's why we brought you on. Apparently, everybody wants to talk about orphaned well, works. Well, and that's why I oh, want to talk to you about it. It's mind-boggling. I'm not freaking out, but I'm I'm part of me is freaking out because I'm not freaking out. <laughs> what? <laughs> Should I be freaking out? No. I don't think you should be freaking out. Then why? I understand the pull, the the, the peer pressure. What is going on? To freak out. Why are they freaking out? So if you're unfamiliar with orphaned works, because we all are unfamiliar with, including the people who are talking most about it, seem particularly unfamiliar with orphaned works. I even don't know them. That's why Rakadion. But there's a piece of legislation floating around out there right now that, if passed, is going to. Okay, I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop you there because that was one of the big uh, misconceptions that was being spread uh, by some people, and that was that there's legislation. There's no legislation anywhere yet. What the copyright office is doing is they're proposing some changes under under specifically the area of orphan works, and right now they want to get some feedback from creators. That's the level that we're at here. No legislation yet. So no. there's not even legislation yet. Right. Gold star for Brad. <laughs> I only know Eight that. Plus uh, plus. <laughs> Katie and I have already had our chat <laughs> for webcomics.com. But Did yeah, you... uh, there's there's no legislation. That's the first thing we've got to make really clear because people have been uh, throwing that around. Yeah, I've been reading on other people's 
you know, other people's posts, people freaking out about this and saying that there's currently legislation and like call your congressman. Yeah. yeah. So you could, but your congressman's not going to really know what you're talking about because first of all, it's copyright, and so they don't pay a whole attention unless they're in LA or New York and uh, <laughs> their constituents care. But right. um, yeah. So what happened was the Copyright Office came out with a report on orphan works and mass digitization, and they had collected a lot of comments and input from people and examined different things, and they reported out and said, okay, of everything that we read about this and of all the information that we collected here's what we think the best thing to do would be. And there was, uh, there was proposed legislation in 2008, and they said, we think it would be best if we took this proposed legislation, modified it based on the information that we got back, and that that be introduced. But there's nobody, until it's introduced in, in Congress, it's not, it's not something that's before any of our congressmen or women. It's not something they can vote on. Um, the other thing they did is they said, hey, we think mass digitization would be a really good idea for certain situations. Uh, how about uh, you guys tell us what you think? And that's what they're soliciting comments for specifically. But, yeah, there's nothing... There's nothing that's going to be voted on anytime soon. There's nothing that's pressing right now. It's it is a report, and I think the thing that people are upset about is what the report proposed. So right now, everyone is advocating uh, that you go and to a, to a website and leave some feedback about orphaned works and. We've been receiving, because we're part of various cartoonist societies, we've been receiving a lot of emails, mm -hmm. go here and tell them to F off. And, you know, like just really feminine, <laughs> like we have yeah. to stop, ah, we have to stop this orphaned work thing. And it, mm -hmm. it, even just based on my limited understanding of orphan works, I thought, why, what? Like, why is everyone freaking out about this? <laughs> But yeah, so as as attorneys, I think we go over orphan works for like, I don't know, 10 minutes in copyright class. It's not, it's one of those things that they talk about. They say it's a big deal, but it's probably not something you're ever going to encounter as an attorney, unless you're representing people who need to license work and you can't find who owned it or who created it. So an orphan work is defined within copyright law as and it's not in the statute, which is one of the things that makes it difficult. It's sort of, um, it, it's, it, there's not a place I can go to and say, here, look, look at this exacting definition. But mm -hmm. the way it's understood in, in copyright law is it is work that has essentially been abandoned by its creator. You find the piece, you um, decide that you want to use it. Like, let's say you want to use a clip in a documentary you're making. So you find this clip, you think it would be perfect, you want to use it. You try to figure out who owns the copyright to the clip, and you can't find them. You can't find who the creator is. You can't find um, who the if they if they sold the copyright to somebody who the copyright owner is. And so there's nobody that you can go to and say, "I would really like to use this. Is that okay with you?" And that's what an orphan work is. The way that orphan work has been presented in a lot of the stuff that I've read is that it's any time somebody removes your name from work or if your work is out there without your you know name on it or attribution which honestly would be frightening if that were really the case because Tumblr right, right. so is that the fear is that that because of the new digital atmosphere that that some works are going to become orphaned works just by floating around out there 
that's my that's my best guess based on the conversations that I've been listening to. Is the the real fear is that somebody else could orphan your work for you. So let's say I um, uh, I put something on my my blog, I share it, it's got my signature on it, it's got a copyright notice on it, but somebody really likes it and decides they want to share it on Tumblr or Twitter or something, and they crop out my name and they don't attribute it to me, and then it's shared by a whole bunch of people who don't associate that work with me. Um, that is. Uh, that is a, a copyright infringement problem, but it's not an orphan work problem. But that's already um, a problem. Yeah, it is. It's already a problem. And this is not this proposal wouldn't do anything to address that issue. Under under orphan work, uh, tell me if this is right, Katie, because uh, I've got a great example that kind of clarifies it if I'm right. <laughs> and if I'm wrong, then I let us down another rat hole. But right. the Batman, the Batman TV show from 1966, there was a reason that I had read or heard somewhere that they could never put the DVDs together for such a long time. There was a villain called the three... Orphan Work. Was he? Is this what this is about? <laughs> yes, and it was played by uh, it was played by Victor Guono, I believe. Uh, no. Uh, But there was like three different entities that actually owned certain rights to that TV show. And, of course, you know, they had been divested or or absorbed by other corporations. But three different uh, groups kind of owned that show. And nobody could have a clear-cut decision-making stance. So it it got so confusing that they just said, screw it, we're just not going to do it. And I think finally they straightened everything out. Uh, but that that would be an example of an orphan work. Not necessarily that you can't find the person, but in some cases you can't determine which one actually has the decision-making power. Yeah, it's a, that's a very similar problem. I don't know exactly in that situation if that was, um, you know, if if that's uh, if it was an orphan work. But yes, when you can't figure out who owns it, when you can't figure out who you have to go to to get permission to use the thing, that's when you're running into an orphan work problem. So it really yeah. is a problem more for people wanting to use work rather than people wanting to create work. Because if you're creating work and your concern is that um, people aren't going to be able able to associate you with your work, there's lots of different things you can do, right? Like, you can keep that um, that image on your blog. You can put your name into metadata. You can be really clear about who's <coughs> going to inherit your IP if you pass away. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's stuff like that, that that shows, no, I still claim this as mine. This is something that I made and that I own the intellectual property to and I'm uh, proud of or responsible for. And, and doing that is enough. The orphan work issue really is the responsibility is on the person who is looking for permission. And right now the law doesn't give them any way of using that and avoiding um, potential liability. So right now if somebody finds an orphan work and they decide, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to risk it, I'm going to take the risk and, and use it in my documentary or, or whatever, um, if the owner shows up later on, that person can sue them for copyright infringement, which can get really spendy. Mm-hmm. And um, and then the user is in the position of, oh man, I looked all over for you and I couldn't find you, and so I took this risk, but now you're showing up and you want money? Jeez. Uh, and the proposal tries to, to balance some of the interest there. 
Is that the reason that there's the the one part in that leg? Uh, uh, I almost made the same mistake. Well, one point in that proposal that talks about limiting liability on the case of the user because of what you just said. Yes, the proposal is primarily about um, limiting liability for people who end up using orphan works. So instead of being um, open to the liability of copyright infringement, if they follow the plan in the proposal, which would have to be accepted and turned into law to be to apply. So we're talking about if somebody hypothetically followed a proposal that is not law or regulation right now. But so that the hypothetical is if they followed all of those rules. Instead of being liable for copyright infringement, they would just be liable for having to pay a license fee to the owner once the owner showed up. Um, and if they couldn't negotiate a, a license fee with the owner in a reasonable amount of time, the owner would then be allowed to sue them for copyright infringement. Guys, isn't this exactly what happened to poor Nina Paley and sent her spiraling into a slow descent? <laughs> I was madness. just about to ask about the whole copy leftist thing, because this sounds exactly like that. Exactly like like what? Okay, you know what this is about? So Nina Paley. Not really? Not really? Is this what you were talking to me about this weekend, Corey? Yeah. So Scott, I'm. <sighs> I don't remember the whole story, but there's a creator named Nina Paley, and she made <clears throat> an animated film, and she used a, a piece of music uh, that I think she thought was an orphaned work. She couldn't find the rights holders to it. She believed it was an orphaned work. And after the fact, after it goes out there and is like well-reviewed and everybody wants to see it, uh, one of the big companies, like Sony Music or somebody, came out of the woodwork and basically said, oh, no, no, that's ours. Put their hand out. Yeah. And then I think they negotiated a, a pretty reasonable deal with her, too, <laughs> and she just wouldn't yeah. do it. And now is... Mm, what's I don't know up? if that's the case. You don't think it was a reasonable deal? No, I don't know if... Um... Let me look it up. Yeah, look it up. But so one one thing is, an orphan work is a work that is still covered by copyright because copyright terms are are really long these days. Um, the default is the life of the creator plus seventy years. Um, so because copyright terms are so long, that an orphan work is one that is still protected by copyright, but you can't figure out who the owner is. There are also works that have fallen into the public domain, right? And if a, if a work is in the public domain, then we can all use it for whatever we want um, for free and not have to worry about copyright infringement because copyright no longer applies to that particular piece of work. Mm -hmm. So I just want to I just want to make sure that uh, we're clear about what the difference is between something that's no longer protected by copyright versus something that is would fall into the category of an orphan work. Okay, so what happened with Nina is she used a number of Annette Hanshaw recordings from the 1920s. <clears throat> Although the filmmaker initially made sure these recordings were not covered by U.S. copyright, a number of other copyright issues surfaces, including state laws prior to the U.S. federal copyright law and recordings. They were protected by state commerce and business laws and... Uh, she did not have a distributor, so she was unable to pay the $220,000 that the copyright holders demanded. Mm. Mm -hmm. They no negotiated a fee of fifty grand, and she took out a loan to license the music. And then she made a protest video regarding the film's deletion from YouTube in Germany. So, yeah. So she actually negotiated down to 
50 grand. 50 grand. I'd say mm. to me, I don't think that's that bad. I like well, well negotiated for a, for a major motion picture, maybe not, but well, or yeah. how about this? Change the music. Although it wasn't that the film was really focused around the music, right? Like that know. was like the whole point of the film. Well, yeah, the, the name of the film was Sita Sings the Blues. Yeah, you ain't changing that music. Yeah. Uh, she, although I, I, I do, I, I feel for her in that regard, but her argument, do you remember her argument about copy left as opposed oh. to copyright? That's she the said big when push, you copy yeah. something, it's not stealing because you've made two copies of it. The original person has their copy and now you have a copy. Stealing yeah. would be if you took one copy and the other person was left with zero copies. That's right. stealing. That's, That's what she said. She's like, like look, you're copying. if you had a bicycle. So now there's two. <laughs> yeah. If you had a bicycle and I took it, that's stealing. But if I copied your bike and we each had a bike, I'm not stealing and I copied your bike. Then we can both ride a bike. And that's, yeah, now we can both ride bikes. <laughs> Brad, uh, if I copy Evil Ink, it's like we both created it. Right, right. And, and, and we can both be happy in knowing that we created it. Here's the thing that kills me about this, is that she now makes a living touring the country talking about copy leftism. Have you seen her presentations? No. It's, it's a bunch of soldiers with the copyright symbol on their shoulder, but they're, they're basically Nazi soldiers with the swastika replaced with the copyright logo. Oh, my. And they're stopping the flow of information through people's brains. So, like, there's all this, like, stuff going through their head. One moment, please. You started a, a thing, Corey. I'll be right back. <laughs> so one of the things about copyleft is actually it starts, the, the whole concept of copyleft is this idea that um, you have rights in something that you built and you're going to tell people, hey, um, you can use my stuff as long as whatever you build with it, you let other people use in the same way. And it, it actually came from like open source and the open source community, it, the idea that, all right, yes, when we build this thing, it automatically gets a copyright, but it would be really great if I could get somebody else's brain and tell me, you know, all right, how could I improve upon this or where are the holes? And so the, the idea of open source was... I will put this out into the world. I will let you play with it. I will let you modify it, and you can create new products and distribute them. You just have to let everybody else use it in the same way. And that's that's one version of the open source licensing, but that that's where the term originally comes from. I love I love people who create work, and then when the work doesn't take off, they blame a system on it. Whether it's copyright or the patriarchy or the oligarchy <laughs> or whatever, and then they become an activist against the system, holding back their work, and then their content becomes their activism. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of exactly what happened with this, right? Yeah, I mean, ostensibly, that's kind of all her content now. Oh, What's yeah. funny is like I don't actually have a problem with copy leftists, just like Katie was talking about. Like, and Katie, isn't a lot of your work uh, essentially open source? I mean, I, I don't know the actual terminology. So there's, I, I use a license um, uh, structure that's called Creative Commons, and it's essentially the, the idea of copyleft applied to other things, where 
Um, I use a lot of images in my posts from Flickr that are uh, licensed under uh, Creative Commons, which means I can reuse them as long as I let other people reuse them, or I can use them as long as I identify who took the picture originally. So, um, yeah, I, I find it really helpful. And I do release some of my, my work under uh, Creative Commons licenses because it's the whole point of my work is to educate people, so I want them to share it, I want them to use it, I want them to pass it around. So there are two points in this original uh, post that, that got everybody worked up that I'd, I'd, I'd like you to just since we've got a little bit of time to address directly because uh, they were the two that seemed to me that got people worked up the most. Uh, the first one is uh, the assertion that this Orphan Works uh, proposal would quote privilege the public's right to use uh, somebody's work. Right. Um, so, hey, Brad, before we before we jump into it, I realize yeah. that we haven't actually shared with everybody where, <laughs> what we're responding to. Um, is there a place where they could go to to see the? Yeah. The well, the the advocacy? background the background. A lot of a lot of cartoonists found out about this through Tom Richmond's blog. Uh, that's what everybody was pointing to. What Tom got it from was a uh, uh, an illustrator named Brad Holland that uh, uh, that wrote something you know very scathing that that Tom kind of cribs most of for his post. Uh, you can go to tomrichmond.com and and it'll be the most recent post or one of the one of the most recent posts. Or Brad Holland's uh, site is Drodger, D R a w g e r uh, dot com, and it'll be one of the most recent posts there. Cool. Um, yeah. So one of the one of the concerns they they listed a whole number of concerns that they have with the Orphan Works, and it was um, that it was going to be the next great copyright act, and it would replace all copyright law. It would void our constitutional right to the exclusive control of our work. It would privilege the public's right to use the work. Pressure you to register your work with commercial registries. Orphan unregistered work, make orphan work available for commercial infringement by good faith infringers, uh, allow others to alter your work and copyright those those alterations, <laughs> and then it would affect all visual art. And so mm -hmm. the one about privileging the public's right to use our work, um, I, I mean, I guess the answer to that is yes, to a certain degree. It makes it easier for people to use work where they can't identify the owner. Mm -hmm. um, and Currently in copyright policy, there is a privilege to the public to being able to use the work. The, the, the thing with copyright is it protects expression but not ideas because we want people to share ideas. We want them to, to build off of each other's ideas and to change them and to modify them and to, to learn new things from each other. Um, but we have this privilege to the public right now within copyright called fair use. Mm -hmm. um, and that allows people to use a work to educate others, to report on the news, to um, to comment or criticize the original creator. Um, so right now, there's already a privilege built in. Yeah, that when I when I originally saw that on your blog, uh, that really kind of lit me up because uh, I never thought about fair use being a uh, falling under the heading of privilege uh, for the public to use somebody's work, but that's exactly what it is. Yeah. Fair use is built-in privilege 
for the public to use a creator's work under certain frameworks, under under certain very uh, well laid out guidelines. Right, and and the backbone of the fair use idea is um, freedom of speech. That you can't you can't limit somebody from expressing themselves um, by using copyright. That's just just wrong. Like that feels well, un-American, right? Like right. you well, that's can't like, talk because I own this. Where was that? It, it just happened within the last six months where a uh, state senator or congressperson uh, tried to enact copyright and fair use to get a newspaper to stop writing stories about him. Do you remember that? <laughs> I don't, but that doesn't surprise me. Uh, it was. It, they came up with a wonderful response in which they basically used his name over and over again and then found ways of... Uh, hiding his name in the editorial, like the first letter of every paragraph spelled out his name. Uh, but yeah, that's that's the crazy kind of stuff that, that happens when we try to take this fair use stuff too far. Yeah. So, here's a, so here's another thing that I want you to uh, talk about directly, uh, uh, Katie, because it was another one of these things that was on that blog post that got everybody uh, uh, worked up, okay? And that is this. It would pressure you to register your life's work with commercial registries. Could you could you address that one directly? Yeah, absolutely. I didn't find anything in the report that talks about uh, commercial registries and requiring commercial registries. One of the things it does talk about is the uh, importance of registering your copyrights with the federal government, which is something that you can do um, if you want to. Right now, the way that copyright works is you get a copyright in everything you create automatically. As soon as you create it, there's a copyright attached to it that you own, um, unless it's a work for hire. But uh, you only have to register that copyright if you want to let the Library of Congress know, know that it's your copyright, if you want to sue somebody for it, and if you want to take advantage of um, a couple different statutory damage provisions, which basically means you can you can get greater damages if somebody infringes your work. Um, but you don't have to register it. One of the things that the report talks about is that if somebody wants to use an orphan work one of the things they should do is search through the registration records of the Library of Congress, which is the, where the Copyright Office sits. And they say that because that's the biggest database of copyrighted work available. But the reports did not say that was the only thing you had to do, which I think is one of the things that's, that's confusing about the information that's going around. It just said that's one of the things you could do. The report said that in order to show that you made a good faith effort, it's going to depend on on the thing that you are using and con and the context of that. So um, if it's an image, for instance, and there's no name attached to it, it doesn't make sense to search the copyright database because you can't search by image. So in that instance, it wouldn't matter if you tried to search the copyright database. You would have to go and take extra steps to try to associate the image with a particular artist. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because there was... Um... Um, the NCS was sending a letter around, right? Right. I think Schweitzer talked about that. With the very sky is falling, I'm trying yeah. to figure out what their what the people at the NCS is. It just old school tradition, or is it what's the fear? I don't know. I mean, and I really do want to understand because um, I don't. I don't like people being afraid if there's not a good reason for it or if there is a good reason right. for it, I want to understand it so I can advise them. But um, 
it seems to me that what's happened is a number of people have passed around information of one person who has a particular point of view and it's scary enough based on what they've said that they've taken action um, to try to prevent what they think is going to happen. But I, you know, I looked through the report. If somebody is listening and they found the section of the report where it says you're going to have to register your works with um, other commercial entities, please get in touch with me. You can like call me out on Twitter. You can come by my website. But but let me know what you found because I could not. I looked for it and I could not find that in the report. Hmm. I don't think it's there. <laughs> well, the, well, like I like I was saying earlier to Scott, the bad thing about this is that now, it, it, if they were successful in this, uh, the U.S. Copyright Office right now is looking at a whole handful of chicken little. The sky is falling. Oh my God, you're going to take away my chance to uh, make a living. Kind of responses yeah. to something that is very innocuous. And the bad thing about that is that later on, when we do need to go to the copyright office and say, okay, now you're doing something that really is dangerous, they're going to already decide that all of us are a bunch of uh, uh, basket cases. But that is one of the risks, right, is that you make a really big deal about something that they don't understand why, where your objection is coming from or they don't think that it's valid. And so then later on when you speak up about something that is really important, they're not taking it as seriously. Now, technically they're supposed to consider everything that comes in and they're supposed to weigh it evenly and, and not show any bias. But, I, you know, I have the same fear that you do, Brad, that if we freak out about everything, our voice is much more limited when, when important matters come up. I mean, one of the other things that they're considering in, in um, revisions to the Copyright Act are how do we deal with fair use and how do we, um, how do we make it easier for people to um, use things they should be able to use? And, and fair use is important if you've ever done fan art, if you like riffing off of other other people's ideas like fair use is a really important right that protects speech and encourages the creation of new things and uh right now i can tell you that the corporations that own a lot of the ip uh that everybody's worried really want orphan works they are pushing as hard as they can to make sure that fair use is as limited and um as difficult to use as possible and that's just in my opinion that is not in the best interest of artists but is that See, does that tie I think to that's this what's at all? behind it do you does that tie to this at all with the orphan works no, they're they're two separate separate things. They're both being considered um, as the copyright office considers revisions to the copyright act, though. But they don't they don't involve one another in any way. Hmm. No, they're they're separate issues. So, like one of one of the things the copyright office could say could have done is say, all right, orphan works are covered entirely by fair use. If it's fair to use it. And if it's an orphan work, there you're fine. And there are a lot of libraries and archives that really prefer that structure because they're the ones using orphan works most often because they're collecting them and putting them into databases um, and so that they can be searchable by other people. And um, this whole process of 
registering with the copyright office and saying that you're using an orphan work and trying to find the person they say is way too demanding for the kind of work that they are doing. And they would rather just depend on fair use. But the copyright office didn't say that. They didn't say, hey, let's just depend on fair use. They said, let's let's develop this very specific program for using orphan works and make people stick to it and um, and make them pay for work if the owner ever shows up. So I, I want you to address for me the other major fear that I've been reading a lot of. And that's, tell tell me how my work can become orphaned. So your work can become orphaned if there is no longer an association between you and the work and um, or it is nearly impossible to associate you and your work. And a lot of people fear that that can be done by other people by removing attribution and, and posting it and sharing it without attribution. But if you have your website and you are um, uploading, say, examples of your your own work you have a public portfolio and that image is in your portfolio it's associated with you you've done what you need to do to say i claim this this is mine um and so then it's the responsibility of the person wanting to use that work to try and find you and and come and ask you for permission and if you know if that image is in your portfolio and it's available online they can do an image search you know, they can pop the photo into Google. They can use Teneye. There, there are other image search tools that they can use that should be able to associate them, the work with you. If you search your own work and you don't get results that associate your work with you, that's a really good indication. Oh, I need to, I need to make this connection stronger. And so it might be just something as simple as like a blog post that says, ah, I was recently looking at some old work and I, I realized that um, these are things I haven't shared for a long time. Uh, here they are. Uh, by the way, they're mine. Mm-hmm. If you want to buy prints, go to the store. You know, <laughs> stuff like that where, where you're saying you're claiming your work. This is mine. I created it. I own it. It makes it um, that makes it much harder for somebody to claim that you were difficult to find or they didn't know who to ask because you've put yourself out there. The other thing that I keep reading. Go ahead, Scott. Go ahead. I was going to say that the, there's three things in my career that are probably the closest to works of mine that I feel are are orphaned that are disconnected from me. And all of them involve someone else's IP. It's the 24 hour comic I did of Batman saying my parents are dead over and over and over. Mm-hmm. That went viral. Hanshot first and Joss Whedon are practically orphaned. Mm-hmm. I mean, we keep doing everything we can to connect them to us because it's we, so difficult. Yeah. But like, it's so out there that it's practically you know we're fighting it becoming orphaned. But that's mm-hmm. our job. That that actually ties into what I was going to say, Scott. The other thing that I keep hearing from people is, and and it's it really does sound like Chicken Little. These people are saying. What if this orphan works law changes? That means I have to go out there and constantly be protecting my copyright. <laughs> and I want to be like, yes, yeah. you have yeah. to do that. You should be doing that right now. Yeah, that's yeah. the status it's like, quo. It's like Chris with Candle Cove. Mm. Yeah. Phil, explain. Well, Chris wrote, Chris Straub wrote this really awesome short story called Candle Cove. It was about a group of kids in the 80s who grew up and all remember a TV show that only they saw. Everyone else saw static. And it was this 
really creepy short story, but it ended up on this fan fiction horror site called Creepypasta, right? Uh-huh. Which is kind of, kind of a copy left open work thing. He didn't put it there or did he? I don't remember, but everyone should assume that candle cove is a creepypasta. And he, you know, at but, one point and Max that, Landis wanted to buy it to make was, a movie. And they're like, I wonder who owns, you know, what creepypasta should I make it t- uh, into a movie? And everyone's like candle cove. And he's like, Oh yeah. And then Chris is like, actually I own that. Uh-huh. If he hadn't seen that, you know what I mean? Like he's lucky he saw it. now, now it's going to be a TV show, but, but it almost got orphaned. You've got to, you've got to go out there and protect it. Well, in that case yeah. too, wasn't wasn't part of the onus of the story that it was like you don't know who published it? Like that's kind of what made it. I don't remember. I don't remember either. But I but yeah, like the thing it was, down. it was written in a. I think it was written in a format like, does anyone remember this show? Yeah, like yeah, it was it really happening. It, it invited a certain amount of participation. Oh man, it was super creepy. Uh-huh. Um, sounds very cool. Yeah, it's super cool. It's actually going to be a whole season of um, a new sci-fi show. But that all got that handled now, still. right? Like eventually it got worked mm-hmm. out. Yeah. But he, he, had to, he had to actively. But he had to go out and do it. He couldn't but, just go, well, that's not fair. Right. <laughs> but that's, that's the thing. <laughs> well, that's, that's, a, that's a bucket of syrup. <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing that's bugging me about these people worried about Orphan Works right now is they're, they're complaining that they'll have to defend their copyright. And it's like you have you currently have to do that. See, to yeah. me, it felt like the NCS was like it was somehow connected to, well, this will weaken us having 50 year copyright contracts on our legacy strips. We need to fight this. Oh, but I just don't know how that's even connected. There were people running around Facebook groups, especially there's a few of these Facebook groups for web cartoonists that that a lot of bad information gets passed around and there was people on those sites saying this is going to kill web comics it's going to make it impossible for you to have a copyright nope and people were getting like really worked up about this and and, and that's actually how i kind of got spurred on to uh uh do the post that went today on webcomics.com because i i kind of dismissed it and it's really funny because like saying how come you're not talking about this I'm like, I didn't know that was that big of a deal, you know? And then I started looking around and saying, oh, my God, people are, like, on the ledge over this issue. Yeah, it's like I don't know when it happened culturally, and I'm not a lawyer, but at some point, law and Harry Potter spells became interchangeable. (laughs) Like, (laughs) like why does everyone think it's just magically – like you're gonna wake up one day and it's like, oh shit! Someone cast steal your <laughs> oh, comic man. strip. My on Patronus me. wasn't yeah, strong I, enough I to defend me yeah, from that. Patronum on me. I, 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 yeah, I have to confess, guys. I'm, I'm a wizard. Are you you're a, a wizard? wizard? Yeah, I went to wizard school. You went to Hogwarts. Hogwarts Law School. School, school of school. Law and Wizardry. For law and wizardry. <laughs> And freaking people out online. She casts an I sue you spell and you lose all your money. Mm. <laughs> no, it's, I, the, thing that, the thing that really ticked me off about this is that there was such bad information out there. And it was a lot of it was crafted in a way that was really frightening. You know, that yeah. says you're going to lose your rights to your work. You're not going to be able to you're not going to be able to to support yourself as an artist, nobody cares about you was essentially the message that came with the warnings. And that's, you know, 
I can't say that the copyright office cares about each and every one of us, but they're certainly not trying to come up with ways to make it harder to be an artist. That is not what's going on. Uh, It's part of a much bigger picture, and it's not appropriate. I mean, have whatever opinion you want to have about it. You can hate this damn thing, and that's totally fine with me, but it is not appropriate to scare the crap out of people. That is not... That's not right. Uh, and there's a, there's a YouTube video floating around there that people were. I, I was able to make oh, it. Oh really? The first, oh my God! I was able to make it through the first uh, two minutes of it. And, 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 and I can't. The, do yeah, we're talking about the same thing. And and uh, when he's uh, the the self-aggrandizing introduction, I I I, I had to bail. <laughs> <laughs> but, but step people, one, this law that is not being proposed is passed. <laughs> step two, you turn your back on your comic strip for five seconds. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I get it. It's scary to try to figure out the law and how it impacts your work. I understand that there is not a lot of really great information out there. It is exactly why I do what I do. But I also hate the implication that as an artist, you wouldn't be able to understand this. Like you wouldn't be able to read it for yourself and come to your own conclusions, which is absolutely wrong. You can. I mean, it's it is relatively accessible information for 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 being written by the federal government. And you are smart enough about your careers to be able to have opinions about the things that impact you. All I, I, I there it was easy to find the original documentation for from copyright.gov and as soon as I made it through the executive summary I knew that there was something that wasn't uh, fitting right and that's when I I wrote Katie because uh, just reading the executive summary it's like these things they're talking about two different things yeah yeah well I feel safer already as well you should <laughs> we're never not safe wrap you in my copyright hug <laughs> Katie, hold you close uh, we know your time is super valuable and frankly we can't afford to have you on the podcast much longer so uh, tell our listeners where they can find uh, more information about you and from you yeah absolutely Yeah, check out the website it's www.workmadeforhire.net.net uh, and my Twitter handle where I talk too much is underscore Katie underscore Lane. Um, you search for Katie Lane and you'll find a porn star. But underscore Katie underscore Whoa. Lane, you'll find me. Wait a minute. Wait a Back up. How do we get the other Katie Lane to be our lawyer? That's what I'm... <laughs> there's a... There's... What I really want one day... That, there's going to be a podcast where it's it's me, it's the romance writer from Texas, and it's the porn star. And I, I feel like we should tr- trade stories about oh what it's gosh. like to be uh, a Katie Lane. Is it a good idea to put all three of you in of going cowboy crazy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hunk going for the holidays is one of my favorites. Crazy. Hold on, i got to turn my uh, safe search off and see if I can find the porn star. I'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> Katie, I want I want you to write to team up with the with the romance novelist and to write a legal romance drama. <laughs> it's like the Lincoln lawyer, only sexy. <laughs> we gotta know. Hold on, now my brain's working. We gotta think up a name that's like the Lincoln lawyer, only for a romance novel lawyer. Why, why not just write the Lincoln lawyer, but sexy like? Sexy Lincoln lawyer. I, I, like, I feel like, or the sexy Lincoln lawyer. First of all, Matthew McConaughey's already sexy. 
and true. and I can never separate him from that role now because of the film and the Lincoln Car commercials. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, all right. <laughs> There's got to be a Lincoln Logs uh, double entendre in there somewhere. <laughs> Of course, that's what Brad goes for. And scene. Brad immediately goes for Lincoln Logs. Oh, before before we let her go, if you guys want more information on this, Katie has, I don't think we mentioned it directly, Katie wrote a fantastic takedown of this entire thing on her blog. If you want to learn more about Orphan Works and get some clear information, go to workmadeforhire.net. It, it really, really goes point by point and, and and solves a lot of the problems that are out there. We already said that, but it's all right. Thanks for listening, Brad. <laughs> I, we talked about her blog, but we didn't talk about this particular post. Oh, gotcha. The one post is really, really he good. He was spending that whole time while we were talking about where to, to read her stuff, trying to think of the Lincoln Log, Lincoln Lawyer bad pun. Yeah, so he can well, pull oh, it that out. Came, that came natural. So he gets the Lincoln Logger. <laughs> the Lincoln Logger. Time on that. <laughs> I object, Your Honor, to this whole line of questioning. Well, you started it. I'm going to allow the witness it. to sexy time. Come on, oh, man. <laughs> we love you, Katie. Thank you for coming on. Love you too. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank you so much to Katie Lane for coming on and talking with us and walking us through this whole thing. Thank you for listening. And don't forget, if you like what you heard, head on over to patreon.com forward slash surviving creativity. And please consider becoming a patron. On behalf of myself, Scott Kurtz, and Brad Geiger, thanks so much. And we'll see you next week on the next episode of Surviving Creativity.